We've been working through a series about the greatest comeback of starting with Easter Sunday of Jesus coming back from the dead and restoration and resurrection and in the midst of people not having an imagination that that was even possible, uh, that, that he shattered uh, the, the view of, and the power of despair and hopelessness that had been reigning. And so we started out looking at Easter Sunday and we started looking at how Easter Sunday continued in the lives of those who followed after Jesus. And so uh, we looked at people like Thomas or Peter, uh, people who had come back from other moments in their life where they had kind of let themselves down, had let God down, but yet how God restores and renews and brings us into a new day. And so today we're going to read about uh, the story of Paul, uh, who in this text is going to be called Saul throughout this chapter, um, but the story of Saul, who had been a persecutor of the church, uh, who encounters Jesus on the path to Damascus. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. So Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And at that moment he was praying, uh, he has seen a vision, um, a man named Ananias came and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and he entered the house and he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the way here has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. And then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. The word of the Lord. This story is a kind of like one of those mile markers of like the, one of the stories that uh, gets more attention because it introduces us to the character of Saul or Paul, uh, who is the author of like half of our New Testament. Uh, half of the New Testament books are authored by Paul. And so we get this story about a man who we know is going to make a huge impact uh, by following God in the world. Uh, but 
he was making a very different impact at the beginning of his story. And he was on a path of violence, a path of, of anger and harm, of hate. And it's a path that we know too well. We try to avoid and ignore about as much as we can, and we don't want to think about the painful moments. Uh, but there are people who enter into this kind of war path that they are just dead set on violence. And it might not be physical violence. It might be emotional violence. It might be words. But people who just can't get anything out of their way of bringing some pain into the world around them. And I couldn't help but I was trying to think of, like, what are some examples of people that get on this path of violence and it gets so hard to get off of it? And uh, you know I like movies. You know I've missed movies in the pandemic. Uh, I look forward to, at some point, getting back into theaters and, and getting to enjoy movies. One movie that uh, is not on my, here's my recommendation list, but will illustrate the point for us today. Uh, there's a movie series called John Wick. Uh, it's Keanu Reeves. And I don't know what our human fascination is with Keanu Reeves, who seems so peaceful and kind that we want to put him in as many action movies as possible where he's as violent as we can imagine him. Um, but this series is about a man who used to be an assassin. And he's given up this life. He's got this peaceful life at home. And, and his life is thrust back into the cycle of violence by meeting a, a young character who decides he wants to steal John Wick's car. And so he decides he wants to break in, take the car. And in the middle of that, he goes too far, and they kill John Wick's dog. And you don't kill John Wick's dog because it sends him into a rampage where it is just, it doesn't matter who's in the way, he's back into his cycle of assassinating, of, of violence. And I think the movie, there's some people who try to count how many people die in these action movies. Uh, and it's something like about 100 people per movie of the three movies. Uh, and it's just nothing can stop me, I have to go on this path. But like once he finishes the first movie and it's like, okay, I took care of the person who harmed me, you can't really get out of it that easily. Because once you've harmed other people, they've got families, they've got networks, and now they're mad and they're gonna involve you into the midst of more violence and more pain and more anger. And before you know it, you're like, how on earth can I ever get out of this? And so like unintended wise, we, we end up on a rampage trying to, to enact some pain on one person and we hurt other people and we get stuck in a violence because now they're going to hurt me now they're going to hurt my friends my family and you can think about times in which uh you know someone in your life has decided against all counsel against it uh, i have to do this you're like this isn't going to end well i have to do this please please don't i have to and maybe you've seen the kind of like anger and the frustration break out of people at, at specific moments. You think about the stories about people who quit their job but don't necessarily want to end on a good note. They're like, I'm going to let all of this venting, all of this anger, all of this hatred, you're going to hear it. Last straw. Uh, and, and then there's consequences. Maybe you might at some point have wanted some references or maybe you would have wanted some things and you've kind of burned those bridges. And so... We get stuck in this pattern. Because you've been harmed, now you want to harm someone else. And once you harm someone else, they want to harm someone else. And at some point we're like, how do we get out of this pattern where we just keep hurting each other? And it could start with someone saying something about you, a little bit of gossip. And next thing you know, people hate each other, they have grudges. 
Uh, it's 50 years later, and there's still a grudge in this high school reunion. Uh, like, we just can't get past these cycles of anger and pain and violence. And I really love the imagery that Luke gives us here in Acts 9 of what Paul is like at this moment. Like, there's something really powerful of this image of, of while Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Like, can you imagine just breathing out threats and murder? Like, it's so much a part of you that you are toxically spewing anger and hatred and, and, and frustration and violence all around you. And we know people who have hit that moment of their life where just being in the room, you feel it. And he can't help that in his innermost being, it's coming out of him that he's breathing out this anger. And so he's on a path. He's persecuted people before. He wants to persecute more people. He wants to get the authority to persecute more people because it helps us feel better about our, uh, our anger and our hatred if we can get more people on board. And so he goes and he gets some letters of, of authority that he has the power to go persecute some people. And some of us look for validation when we're angry with someone. We want that support of somebody else in our lives to say, yeah, you're right. They deserve what's coming for them. And so that's the story we enter into today and the story that we still sometimes are living in the midst of uh, where people can't help but spew the breath of anger and hatred around them. And so the question in this story and the question for us is how do we break out of that cycle? How do we break out of this, this never-ending violence, this never-ending hatred and anger? How do we get out of that? And so this is a story about Paul in this text getting out of this cycle. And I think we can learn a lot from how he gets out of this pattern. The first thing Paul does in this story is he, his life is put on pause. Like, he's on a path, and he needs to be diverted from that path. And the first step is just stop. And we kind of inherently know this as a good pattern to get out of things, is just stop what you're doing, pause, how many of us, when you've had kids who are, who are angry, who are upset, say, breathe, breathe. Just take a breath, please. Just breathe for a second. Just pause. Take, a, take a, another view of what's going on around you. Just, just pause. And when you're in that anger where you're just breathing out hatred, it's so hard to pause. It's so hard to take that breath. When you find like someone has done something wrong to you, they've said something wrong to you, and you get that anger going inside of you, you might know in your head it would be good to take some breaths and pause, but it is hard to actually do it. It's hard to go into a moment and pause, and, and you know, for us of like prayer as this time of resting, of sitting with something. Uh, but we want to rush into things. And so Saul has the benefit of of God stepping in and forcing him to pause. And some of us have had that moment of like, life has just hit us and pushed us into the pause that we would have never taken on our own. And some of us that's frustrating and you get even more upset about it and you're like, I wish I could do something about it, but like, what is it to embrace the pause and learn from it and grow from it? Uh, because we don't often want to pause. We don't wanna wait for wisdom. We want instant fixes. Like any problem in our life, we want to know what's the quickest way to resolve this? Not what's the slow path, what's the wise path. Uh, we want all sorts of instant fixes. Uh, we all know 
like the nutritional path towards being healthier, but it's hard to actually take the long path towards it, right? Like, it, we want, give me the diet plan that is the like two-week fix. And that even feels too long. I want that result tomorrow. I want to get on the scale tomorrow and see the results already. Uh, we are an instant fix society. We don't want to pause. Uh, I think about when my wife and I got married, we moved across the country from Texas to Atlanta. And one of the things we didn't get was we moved into a very small apartment. Uh, the kitchen was tiny. There was, I don't, I'm trying to remember now, like there was barely any like counter space. And so one of the decisions we made was like, we don't have space, let's just not get a microwave. And like a lot of folks were like, wait, you don't have a microwave? Uh, and I'm sure we were very frustrating to family or friends who would visit, and you're just used to like putting something in the microwave, and you're like, oh, they don't have a microwave. Uh, but we're like, you know what, it's not a big deal. You know what, when we reheat leftovers, they're better when they come out of the oven, like they're more cooked fully, they, they keep their temperature longer, this is actually pretty nice. Um, but eventually, when we had more counter space, eventually we fall into like, all right, we got baby bottles. It's really easy to put them in a microwave to, for sanitation, for other kinds of things. And so eventually, we embraced the instant fix of microwaves, and there's a lot of benefits. But in our lives, we would rather a microwave version of any sort of solution. We want what's the quickest, fastest fix. And in this story, Paul doesn't have an instantaneous transformation. He doesn't instantaneously become the Paul that we know in the New Testament through writings. Um, and sometimes we assume, because of Old Testament stories about name changes, that Saul becomes Paul and it's like his name has changed here. Uh, but he has this Jewish name, Saul, and he has a Greek name, Paul, and when he's dealing with Gentiles, he's going to take on that name that they can more say, that they can understand a little better. Uh, but in this story, he's stopped in his tracks, and he's going to spend three days in darkness not being able to see anything. Like most of us don't want to take three days on a decision. But he spends three days unable to see, waiting with fasting, without eating, without drinking. And that fasting kind of language gets at he's spiritually listening. He's trying to understand who God is and what's happening in his life. And he's got to wait. And I love that the command Jesus gives him is go into the city and do as you're told. I'm not going to tell you yet exactly everything. Uh, but he has to go, he has to trust, and he has to sit and pause his life and contemplate, what path do I want to take out of here? Where am I going from here? And so how, how powerful would it be for us to just learn how to hit pause in our life uh, more often, to listen, to be wise uh, by listening to God's Spirit for our calling in our lives? And so Paul is on pause, uh, but that's not the only thing that, that helps him in his transformation. He is called to empathize. How do we break out of the cycle of violence? We have to learn how to empathize and understand the pain of others around us. Like when you're on that warpath where you just want to like vent that anger and push that on somebody, the only pain you understand in that moment is your pain. But when Paul's on this road, uh, he hears this voice, he sees this light, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I was like, wait, who are you? I don't know that I'm persecuting you. And like, how often in our lives have we hurt people where we're not even sure how, like, we don't know who we're hurting. Like, like, we are so lost in our path that we haven't noticed the aftermath and who all is affected by our behaviors. 
And so there are times where you feel like, well, I had a grudge against this person. I, you know, we had words back and forth. That doesn't mean I have a problem with you as a tangential person in this relationship. But like the, the pain we cause has an effect on those around us. And Jesus is like, hey, why are you persecuting me? And Paul is startled by this. And so one of the things that we have to do to get out of the cycles of violence is to be better listeners, to be better observers of, of the feelings, the emotions, the, the reactions of those around us. You know, we, again, to go back to the, the kids in, in our world of when we tell them to pause, take a breath, we're also trying to teach them how do, we, how do other people feel based on what you're doing? How, can I think about how their perspective, how they would understand this thing? And for some of us, it's easy in some settings and it gets harder in others. Um, there's, we just live in a divisive world. We live in a world where people are more at odds with one another, where people don't want to think what's it like to be the other person in that scenario, where it's so easy based on a simple headline that we're just going to hate somebody based on this headline. But what is it to think about what the emotion, the pain, the struggle of other people in, our, in this world is? Uh, some of us, we don't feel that pain because we self-select to move away from other groups. We don't live next to certain people. We don't go to schools with certain people. We don't work with certain people. We don't go to church around certain people. And it makes it easier for us to, to dehumanize the other person because I don't know them fully. But what is it to whoever you struggle to love to realize their pain, their hurt? What is it to have this kind of Jesus say, hey, why are you persecuting me? And you know, our New Testament talks about the way we treat others is like how we would be treating God. That, hey, when did I visit you when you were sick or go to the, the prison and take care of you or feed you or clothe you? When you did it to the least of these. And so we don't see how the violence, the harm, the pain we inflict on others is also uh, felt by God. And so one of the ways that we can break out of this cycle as we pause and we empathize, we see how others feel, how they experience pain in this world as well. A third step today of how do we break out of the cycle, Paul is going to have to be vulnerable. If you want to break the cycle of violence, it takes some courage to be vulnerable because once you kind of choose sides and you're at war with one another, you, you put shields up, you put armor up, you distance yourself from one another, but at some point, you got to start taking the, that armor off and just being you and being able to show up and not know how someone's going to respond to you, but be willing to try, be willing to try to be someone uh, who's willing to be authentic with somebody else. And so in our story, Paul has to get super vulnerable. Like if you've ever had um, vision challenges, like, what is it to have to be led by the hand because you don't know how to go forward on your own anymore? And I know, like, my vision, I, I've got contacts, and my vision's very bad, and, and I can't see unless something's right in front of me. And so when I get up in the morning and I haven't put my glasses on, you can walk up and say, hey, how does this look? Or, or hey, can you read this for me? Or whatever it is, I can't see anything. Uh, I always think doctors are playing a trick on you on the eye test because it could be the big E and it's just a white screen. You know, there's nothing on it. And um, so like my worst case scenario is being out and about and having a contact tear. And suddenly you're like, oh no, how on earth can I navigate the world on just one eye? 
And what would happen if I lost both, uh, both contacts at the same time? I would just be helpless. And for Saul, like to just suddenly not be able to see, he is at the mercy of everybody around him to help him get to this new town. And he is going to have to show up to people he wanted to hurt and trust them. Show up, a disciple will show up and tell you what to do. You know, those people that I wanted to hurt, like that's who's going to take care of me. For us to like internalize this of whoever you've most had the trouble loving in your life, what is it to say, all right, I'm going to show up to their house and they're going to take care of me. They're going to be hospitable to me. They're going to welcome me. And so Saul has to trust and be vulnerable and show up and see how people will respond to him. And I love that Luke gives us an angle of how Ananias, as the other side of the story, hears it. Wait, wait, God, you want me to go take care of who? God, you know this person wants to, to harm me, right? Yeah, yeah, go. Trust me, I have already talked to him. I have a purpose and a plan for him. You're like, wait, everything I know about this person is that they hate me, that they want to hurt me. I'm supposed to go take care of this person? And so Ananias is vulnerable to show up to Saul. And Saul is vulnerable, trusting and being willing to show up to this relationship. And they're both willing to take a new path forward, all because of how God is at work in their lives. There's something valuable and meaningful and and courageous around, trusting that there is a God who loves both you and your enemy, that helps you figure out how to get to a place where you can love one another, because there's a mutual trust and protection and support around a God who is bigger than your fight, bigger than your problem. And so Saul is on his three days of, of not knowing what to do, of not eating or drinking. Ananias shows up and says, hey, come with me. I, you know, I think I'm supposed to help you here. And they talk, and it's a beautiful image at the end of the story, which I think gets back to our vulnerability. Ananias and Saul had been talking, and it says, immediately something like scales fell from Paul's eyes, and his sight was restored. And he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. He didn't have strength. He can't see. He's without strength. He's hungry. He's thirsty. And something about the mutual relationship and what God was doing in Saul's life creates the scales, which almost feels like armor that keeps us from seeing one another, fall from his eyes, and they can see one another, and they can see brother and brother. And then they go through baptism, which is this great image of, I'm leaving this old life behind, I'm leaving this old trajectory, this old path, and walking in something new with a new identity. And Saul becomes uh, this baptized, commissioned by God apostle to go talk to the world about what God can do. And that requires that Saul doesn't just give up on being vulnerable, but his whole ministry is going to be, you've got to be vulnerable again. You've got to show up in a new place and trust that just proclaiming good news is enough, just being faithful is enough, telling others they can get out of the cycle of violence and pain, telling others that there's a better picture that God is doing in the world. And it doesn't mean Saul's going to have a perfect life. He's going to have pain. He's going to suffer because the world hasn't fully been restored. But there's something of hope that's enough that maybe, just maybe, the next person might be transformed. Maybe the next one might be healed. 
and that that's worth the vulnerability of showing up to what might happen. And so Saul keeps going to the next city. He keeps getting rejected and pushed out. Eventually will be persecuted for his faith, will die for his faith. And he gives us a picture of what it can be to follow God. That we can be not only like apathetic, not only indifferent to what God's doing in the world, but we can be on the opposite path. We can be rejecting God. We can be hateful. We can be hurting people. We can, uh, even a murderer has the opportunity to confess, repent, and be forgiven and taken into uh, the life of God. And that feels scandalous. And it's that same scandal that, that Jesus modeled and lived, that this love that goes off, that even while you're being crucified, you say, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that Jesus took on the pain and the persecution and the violence because God was willing to be vulnerable with humanity. And if God is willing to be vulnerable with you, why can't we be vulnerable with God? Why can't we be vulnerable with each other? That the God who's willing to be a present and, and hurts and persecuted and crucified is the God who invites you to get off of this path and take a new one with God. That there's a way forward with life and hope and opportunity. So if you struggle with anger, with, with, with violence, with letting your passions get the most of you and, and it ends up hurting people around you, this text, this scripture, is not just about perfect people having an opportunity for life. It's the opportunity that anybody can say yes to what God is doing, to spend some time in the wilderness of what on earth, how do I make sense of this, to have your three days of darkness, to have your time wrestling with who God is, uh, that there's a, a power of why there's a Good Friday and Easter Sunday and some time in between, uh, that you can sit with God and listen and reflect on what it is to follow God faithfully. And in that, maybe in those moments, you might learn to empathize, to love, to care for those, even those that you used to hate, even those that when the news headlines come up that you were easy uh, to be impatient with, to hate, uh, to wish ill on. And maybe, just maybe, we will inspire others on this way of love, inspire others to be vulnerable and to take this path with us and with our God. And so uh, the beauty of this story is that we can all come back from wherever we are. And so maybe today you might be able to, to just rest in uh, God's wisdom and a pause God has for you as you reassess and find where God is leading you into even more vulnerability, even more love, even more hope, even more life today. So that's our invitation to assess where God is leading you to take the armor down, the scales off and say yes to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we confess that we don't know how much pain we've caused in our life. Lord, there are people that we've hurt with our words, with our actions, with our inaction. And we don't always know the pain that we've caused. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you might help us to see better uh, the way that 
our actions and lives affect the world around us. Lord, for all whose, whose breath is filled with toxicity right now, with anger, with, with hatred, with, with fear, Lord, we ask for a renewed spirit, a breath of God to, to fill their, their innermost being. Lord, help us to breathe out life and your hope in the world around us. Lord, for those of us who have been on this path for a while and have trusted you, uh, Lord, help us to be even more vulnerable, even more authentic with you, that our prayer lives might be an openness, that whatever scales of I don't want to pray about this thing in my life might fall off, and that we might see you fully and afresh, and that you might show your vision for our lives uh, with renewed power and strength in our lives. Lord, help us to be a community of people who are willing to show up to others, even those that we are suspicious of or doubt. Uh, Lord, that we can have a hopefulness that you might transform anyone and everyone. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.